Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. Here you'll find wisdom for your fertility journey and beyond, chosen specifically to help you trust your body and elevate your spirit so you can enjoy the process. Join us and see what a fertile mind feels like. Now your host, Hilary Talbot Rowland. Welcome back to episode 19 of Fertile Minds Radio. I'm so happy to be back with you. It's been way too long, but part of the reason I've been away is because I've been on retreat with my teacher, David G., in California, which was amazing to say the least. And I've also been working on projects of how to better serve you in 2018, from one-on-one coaching to group mentorship, classes, and retreats. I'm headed to Europe this summer with a dear friend and yoga teacher to bring an amazing retreat in Sweden and in France. So if you're interested in that, the details are already up on the website. And be sure to keep tuning in because I'm going to be offering some free coaching sessions around fertility for my listeners who sign up to go to those retreats. And the cool thing about that is it's going to allow us to get to know each other before we even get there. So I'm super pumped about that. And I encourage you to just keep listening to the future episodes with details of how you can get in on those special deals. I'd like to hear what you need most from me and how I can help because that's why I do this podcast. So in the next few emails about these podcasts, you'll see links for surveys about what would fit you best. And if you don't get my emails, hop over to ladypotions.com and just sign up for the newsletter and you'll always be in the know about offerings and special discounts. You can also follow me on Instagram with the handle ladypotions and the number four and the letter U. So that's Lady potions for you. And on Instagram, I actually provide links from time to time for early listening to podcast listeners, some extra fertility wisdom, and I point you in the direction of some of my mentors and other people in this area that I think are doing it right. So it's a great place to get free information. And it's the best way to get the most out of this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into episode 19, preventing in colds and flu. And the reason that I'm doing this episode is not only because it's flu season and it's been pretty horrific here in the United States, even in the South, where it's typically not as bad. And I really feel like this is important when you are undergoing IVF or IUI because it can really slow down your progress. And one of the reasons why this kind of popped into my head of why it was so important to talk about, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is when I landed in California for my retreat, I was watching the news and I was noticing that all the hospitals were actually putting up tents outside of their hospitals to triage people with flu because they had never seen it this bad um, in so many people within the last decade. Some of the hospitals were even closing their surgical centers because it had gotten so bad. And that started me thinking about 
what happens when somebody's, you know, in the middle of a cycle and all of a sudden they're sick. Now for the female, there's not a lot that happens because they can usually just get through it unless there's a need for antibiotics. They can wait out the symptoms. The truth of the matter is though, when you're going through an IVF cycle and you're hijacked on a bunch of hormones, you already don't feel like yourself. So getting sick on top of that It's just no good. So we're going to go over lots of natural tips from herbs um, to oils today that you can do to curtail that. And the other thing is that I wanted to talk about the importance of keeping your male partner healthy. Now, you may be wondering what this has to do and why it would be so important for your male partner to stay healthy. And the reason for that is fever. Now, if you are, let's say, in an IUI, an insistent uterine insemination, and it's the day that you're supposed to go in and your husband has a fever, it's not going to do much to affect you. But let's say that you're not scheduled for him to do a collection for another month or two months and he spikes a really high fever. Well, that could actually hinder morphology, motility, and count. So especially if there's already issues on the male side with male factor infertility, we really want to be protective of making sure that they don't spike a fever. So to understand this, it's important that you understand the sperm cycle. Sperm production actually begins in the testicles where sperm is created and allowed to mature. And then in order to produce and nurture sperm, the temperature of the testicles must remain approximately one degree lower than the rest of the body. To accommodate fluctuations in temperature, both internally and externally, the scrotum is actually able to move the testicles to maintain this delicate balance. So this is kind of why you hear like, you know, you shouldn't wear tight underwear in hot climates as well, because it makes it difficult for this kind of auto-regulation of the body to happen. In warm temperatures, the testicles can be held further away from the body. And in cold temperatures, they are brought closer, right? That old joke about going in the water and coming out and everything looking smaller, right? It's because it's being very, it's being held close to the body. If the testicles were not able to maintain an ideal temperature, which can happen during a fever, then sperm production can be hindered, hindered and even cease for a short time. So we definitely don't want that. It takes about 72 days for sperm to mature enough to be viable. So the sperm that are available for insemination on a day where you get a fever is not really that much of a problem, like I said before. But as much as three months prior, a fever could kind of ruin your outcomes. So important to know. So what's the moral? The moral of the story is to be proactive when preventing illness. So we all know we should wash our hands. People don't do that nearly enough. And, you know, be careful of uh, in terms of going out to restaurants and letting other people cook for you or being at parties. If you can stay in and you can control food and what's going directly into your mouth, you're going to be much better off in terms of catching a virus. So not only are we going to talk about the preventatives in a little bit, we're going to talk about when to know if you need to take antibiotics or not why you'll need more rest and recuperation if you do take antibiotics, even though most of us think of that as a quick fix, and how overtaking antibiotics could actually be hurting the future of your children's health, okay? The reason for this is that, at least in the U.S., antibiotics are wildly overprescribed. 
Okay. And I take this really seriously because I actually haven't had antibiotics in 10 years. And it's not because I'm against them. It's because I'm so for them. Unless I truly need them, I'm not going to take them. And that's because when we overtake them, when it's a virus and it's not bacteria, which is the only time that they work, or we don't take antibiotics properly, meaning we don't finish them the full prescribed amount, we actually create superbugs. We create bacteria that are highly resistant to antibiotics. And then when you need them, they're not going to work. So I am pro-antibiotic. I just haven't needed them. I want to be able to take them, God forbid, if I need them. So I feel a special place to educate people about when and when not to take antibiotics and how to care for yourself when you do, because there can be some pretty serious side effects in the GI system and just your overall feelings of fatigue and malaise. So to prove what I'm talking about, there was this 2015 study that found in a two-year period, 77% of adults with a respiratory tract infection seen at an outpatient clinic, this is like a walk-in, were given antibiotic therapy for their symptoms, which was inappropriate in 64% of those cases. That means that two-thirds of those people that came in wondering if they were sick and needed antibiotics were overprescribed. okay? So not only is that money, but two-thirds of those people just basically gave the answers to the test to the bacteria, and so they now know how to mutate and become stronger. So you can see where this can be a problem for your future children, right? We only have so many antibiotics, and once they stop working, we're kind of out of luck. So you learning how to stay healthy and decide when and when you don't need antibiotics can cut down on your trips to the doctor to ask for them. So we're going to go over that in detail today. By the way, the same thing happens with the flu vaccine, which is the flu is a virus, And here in the U.S., we do give uh, flu vaccines quite often. In fact, they're pushed on most everybody, especially pregnant women, elderly, and children. And there, I do believe that there are some cases where you would want to get the flu vaccine. Maybe if you are elderly or you are immunocompromised, meaning your immune system just would, it would be the end of you if you got sick. But the problem with the flu vaccine, and I know this really intimately because I actually used to work in the pharmaceutical industry prior to going to graduate school. And I worked for a company that sold hard to find drugs and vaccines were one of them. And that was because, especially the flu vaccine, that was because a lot of the time companies wouldn't make the flu vaccine because they said there was no money in it. There was only money in drugs that people were going to take for the rest of their lives. Not only that, but one to two years prior, they had to do their research through the CDC to try and guesstimate which strains of flu were going to be the most prevalent and then make the vaccine for those strains. Now, I think there's something at this point like over 25 strains of flu. And in a flu vaccine, you can only put in about four or five strains. What they're really doing is they're just guessing the four or five out of the 25 that they think might be the problem child of the year. Now, some years they get this right. This year, they did not. I believe last year they didn't get it right either. We saw a ton of cases of flu in our Um, wellness center where people had in fact gotten the flu vaccine and were still very, very sick. So you want to weigh your options when it comes to getting the flu. 
And if you get a vaccine, flu vaccine or otherwise, and even this is when you're getting vaccinating your children, you never ever want to give Tylenol to suppress the fever that can come with the vaccine. Now, that can sound kind of counterintuitive. If you already have children, you may have even had a um, pediatrician that's told you to take uh, Tylenol prophylactically before giving a vaccine. And that's actually just criminal in my eyes. You want your body to have a little bit of a reaction to that vaccine, especially when it's a live virus, because that fight, those symptoms that you're feeling is actually your body fighting and creating antibodies. So the next time it sees this virus, it knows exactly how to take it down. If you take Tylenol and you suppress that, you actually drive the live virus from the vaccine down into the bone marrow. And in traditional Chinese medicine, we actually believe that this can be problematic later in life in things like lymphoma and leukemia. Lymphoma and leukemia aren't viewed as much as cancers as they are viral and where a virus has been shoved into the bone marrow and then something has triggered in the environment, either of the body or the external environment, to then allow that virus to come out and proliferate. But by this time, it's super mutated and it's coming out as lymphoma or leukemia. So, And there's even some studies that point to the possibility in um, pediatrics where if you give Tylenol and suppress viruses from vaccines vaccines that you are at a higher risk for putting your child on the spectrum, okay? So not the vaccine itself, but what you're doing when you give the vaccine could actually potentially cause that. So you want to just make your child or yourself comfortable if you do get a low-grade fever, and it should be low-grade, and maybe you need to rest that day for 12 hours, not go to the gym and kill it uh, after you get a vaccine if you choose to get one. Okay. I'm going to get off my soapbox now about vaccines. And we're going to go over the most common things like strep sinus infection, bronchitis, and ear infections. So you can tell the difference and why you might want antibiotics. And I said earlier in the episode too that if you do get antibiotics, you want to take some extra special care. Now, most of us just we ask for the script for antibiotics because we want the symptoms to be over with. When in reality, especially if you take something like a Z-Pack where it's only five days, you may not start to feel better until day four or five. Um, and you can have some pretty serious GI upset because antibiotics work like a bomb in your GI system, your gastrointestinal system. They kill everything. And in any ecosystem, when you kill everything, the strongest predators are going to come back first, which is why you're at a higher risk for things like yeast infection. And then you have a secondary problem on your hands, right? Um, people that are overprescribed antibiotics were actually found to have side effects of toxicity, other secondary infections like C. diff, which is terrible. It's, a, it's like the most terrible diarrhea ongoing that you could ever imagine having in your life. So certainly understand that there are side effects to taking antibiotics. They are not to be taken lightly. Now, one of my mentors, Dr. Shen, uh, he was actually Dr. Hammer's mentor. He was pretty funny. He had this story of really putting it into perspective of why you needed more rest if, in fact, you took antibiotics. He said, you know, if you are sleeping in your house and you hear a noise and there's a burglar, you have two choices. You could make a really loud noise and try and scare them off. And you might be hiding scared for, you know, what seems like an eternity, but really probably a couple minutes until they leave your house. Or 
you could come out guns blazing with a shotgun and kill the intruder. And it would be over like that. But you'd have this other problem on your hands. Instead of just protecting your stuff and scaring them away, you've protected your stuff, but now you have a dead body to clean up. It's the same thing that happens when you take antibiotics. You've got all these tons of millions of exoskeletons of the bacteria that your body now has to process and eliminate from your body. So you can kind of see why you would need extra rest if you do, in fact, take antibiotics. Okay. So acute rhinosinusitis. This just basically means like your sinuses are full, you're really uncomfortable. It happens to about one in eight Americans yearly. 20% of the antibiotic prescriptions written in America are for this exact set of symptoms. However, this is commonly caused by a virus. It's not always bacterial at the start. Now, if you're somebody that has really small sinus cavities or you're repeatedly sick or you have, let's say, exposure to lots of other things on top of it, that virus could sit in those sinus cavities and incubate and then also have a secondary bacterial infection. And one of the ways that I ask my patients to understand if they do need antibiotics is looking at the color of the sputum. If they're telling me that it's got like a greenish brown tint to it and really, really intense pain, then I'm starting to think that there's bacterial on top of viral there, especially if the duration has gone on a really long time. Once it goes past 12 weeks, then we're looking at not um, acute rhinosinusitis, but chronic, okay? So three months, that person that gets sick and never gets recovers. One of the things that I love most when there is sinusitis, whether it is chronic or just starting, is a formula called Song Ertza Song or Xanthium Nasal Formula by Golden Flower. Now, you have to have a practitioner to um, get a lot of these formulas, but I'm going to provide some links of where you can um, potentially find that other places. But I encourage you to reach out to your practitioners to see um, if when you are sick to see if they have something that can help you. The other thing that I really, really love is a garlic neti pot. Now, if you've ever neti potted, you know that it is a little bit of an art form to figure out how to get that water to come up one nostril and out the other, but it really clears things up. The magic happens when you actually chop up garlic, like one or two cloves, and you let it sit for 20 minutes after a fine chop. When you let it sit exposed to air after chopping it, it brings up the antimicrobial, the antifungal properties to it. And then you pour boiling hot water over it in a, in a sieve, like you are trying to make tea so that there's no chunks in it. You're basically making garlic tea. And then you let it cool down and then you neti pot with that solution. Yes, you are totally going to smell garlic for a couple hours after that. However, when you have chronic sinusitis, like if you're one of those people where it's gone on past 10 days, or you know you get sick every spring and it's super hard to beat, this is for you. And you can actually do it preventatively before you get sick. And I'm going to put instructions on the website of a download for this so that you can have step-by-step directions so that you don't hurt yourself when you try this. And trust me when I say 
if you get sick repeatedly with this, this is a game changer, especially if you live in a hot, humid climate. I actually find that some of my patients get a secondary fungal infection, not bacteria, and that's why the antibiotics don't work. And the garlic kills everything. It kills all the fungus in the nose and actually stops that recurring sinusitis from happening. Okay. So the next thing we're going to talk about is cough, um, or what is referred to as acute uncomplicated bronchitis. This is the most common complaint that sends people to their primary care physician, and it usually resolves within one to three weeks without intervention. Okay. Do you hear me? Usually goes away within one to three weeks. Now, I understand that one to three weeks is a really long time to have a cough, especially if you're someone that speaks for a living like myself, or you're in healthcare and you want to be healthy around your patients, or you're in a boardroom giving major presentations. You want to take medicines that can curtail the cough. So I see a lot of people that just take Mucinex. And the problem with that is that sometimes it's a dry cough and you're actually making it worse by drying the phlegm. You only want to take something like Mucinex when the phlegm is coming up and super thick, okay? And you need to expectorate it from the lungs. Now, naturopath and herbalist and acupuncturist, they can really get into what type of cough it is and prescribe you specific herbs to help with that. One of the things that you can do too is hot lemon water and honey at night to soothe the cough before you go to bed so that you're not up all night. You can also do elderberry syrup for coughs. This is amazing in children. And in fact, you can um, even make this at home yourself and keep it on hand. So it's something to soothe coughs. Emollients like um, slippery elm, and marshmallow root are really helpful for soothing uh, irritated bronchi from coughing. Um, and they, they kind of, when you put them in water, they give you this like silky feeling to the water. And you can see how it just coats the inside of your throat and helps quite a bit. Now, a lot of people that have cough will be concerned that they have pneumonia. And the signs to rule out pneumonia are tachycardia, which is super fast heartbeat. So a heartbeat over 120 beats per minute a fever. And then you have to have a a lung exam. You have to have an x-ray, somebody that looks at your lungs and says, okay, there's something abnormal going on there. You do in fact have pneumonia and we're going to treat you for that. Now you could also have viral pneumonia. It's not always bacterial. So this is why you want to have a lung x-ray. If you feel that that cough is just not like your others, or you're super, super fatigued to the point of not being able to get out of bed. Okay. The common cold. This is probably the most tricky, okay? And this is because there's over 200 viruses that can result in what you and I think of as the common cold. Runny nose, congestion, headaches, sore throat. You know, you feel a little under the weather, but you don't have the body aches and bone aches and feel like you're going to die like you do with the flu. Um, antibiotics are definitely not going to resolve this situation any sooner. And in fact, they might make it worse because they deplete the whole system like I talked about earlier. Again, practitioners who have therapies to help you with these symptoms and help them heal faster are certainly people that you want to reach out to, acupuncturists, NDs, and herbalists. And I would say that if you get the common cold a lot, you want to reach out to them when you're healthy to try and prevent this, especially going into an IVF cycle, right? You want to have uh, herbs on hand that you could take in the event that you 
started to feel symptoms or preventative herbs that you can take while you travel. So I typically take a formula called Gan Mao Ling. It's for what we call a wind heat invasion in Chinese medicine, which is the common cold with heat symptoms. And when I am in mass transit, meaning I'm flying, I'm on a subway, um, you know, traveling across the country, something like that, I take a dose every four hours to just up my immune system to try and prevent anything from taking hold. And then if I get symptoms, then I take it at a slightly higher dose or I then move to the appropriate formula for what my symptoms are. And that helps to keep me healthy when I'm traveling. The other thing that you can do when you're traveling is breathing exercises like pranayama, or maybe you've even heard of the Wim Hof method, which is an extreme breathing technique that alkalizes your body. And when it alkalizes your body, it makes it an environment that is really difficult for bacteria and virus to live in. So if you fly a lot, that's something that's absolutely indispensable to you. Um, and so are essential oils for preventing uh, the common cold. And we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode of what you might want to carry on hand. Okay, sore throat. A lot of us get sore throats. For some of us, that's the first indication that we're sick. And then others are strep carriers, meaning you've had strep multiple times in your life. You get sick and that's right where it goes. So how do you know the difference? Strep throat is actually a bacterial infection and it does require antibiotic treatment, okay? How you know this is that you actually have to go to the doctor and get a swab. They stick that swab in your throat, they culture it, and then they figure out that you do in fact have strep. Now, a lot of times you can see strep. You can see these like little white pustular things on the back of the tonsils, but that's not always strep, which is why you want to have it cultured because you can have tonsil stones that are just causing you a, a sore throat. And once you get tonsil stones, sometimes they can be chronic. So you really want to work with your practitioners to differentiate what is actually happening. When you have strep, you won't have a cough. Your lymph nodes will probably be swollen. You'll have a fever because it's a bacterial infection, but you won't have a cough. So that's one of the kind of differentiating symptoms that I use. There are amazing herbs for when you have a sore throat. Um, the first one is a formula called Yin Chow. And this formula is indicated for symptoms that start in the throat or for a wind heat invasion that starts in the throat. Um, and I'll put links to this because if you're one of those people where that's where it starts, this is indispensable to have on, on hand. Now, if you're a strep carrier or you are, let's say, a teacher and there's an outbreak of strep and you're around it all the time, you might want to have a stronger formula on hand called andographis. Andographis is one of the coldest herbs in our pharmacy and it's actually specific for strep. Um, it treats the entire herpatic family of viruses. So from chickenpox to strep to herpes virus, this herb is wonderful at killing it. And in the text, it says it differentiates between a sore throat and feeling like one has razor blades in the throat. So if you've ever had strep, you understand the difference of what I'm describing here. Now, lastly, an ear infection, also known as acute otitis media. Okay, we think of these as happening to children only, but they can happen to adults. Uh, a couple years ago, we had a common cold virus going around and it was just, it seemed like it went to everybody's ear. This little bug had an affinity for just setting up shop there, but it was viral. It was not bacterial. 
Okay. So it can be caused by both. And certainly the bacteria in an ear infection is a more common cause, but antibiotic therapy is not always necessary immediately. Okay. The CDC actually uh, suggests watchful waiting for antibiotics for two to three days within earache to see if it will resolve on its own. Because in children, um, when it's mild, it's usually virus, not bacteria. Now, if you see your child pulling at your ear, crying incessantly, super high fever, of course you want to get them out of pain and you want to bring them to their pediatric doc that's used to looking in their ears to see exactly how inflamed they are in comparison to what they normally look like. Current conventional guidelines actually suggest that if the child is less than six months old, that immediate antibiotic therapy be used, okay? And this is just to prevent any potential hearing loss. And there's also some interesting studies about what's happening in the child's gut during the first year. And some of the studies actually say that it's okay to give occasional antibiotic use because the GI system, the environment of probiotics is actually changing so rapidly that, you know, an occasional course of antibiotics is not going to throw things off. Now that's debatable on the science. um, And I'll put some links to some TED Talks that you can watch about that. So I did say that this was going to be about you and avoiding your illness during an IVF journey, but I am including some information about kids because after all, that's what you're going towards, right? And not only do I want you to understand how to take care of yourself, but I want you to understand what the red flags are of how to take care of your kid because it's really overwhelming when you see your child suffering and you just want to take it away. But we don't want to make their health worse on the back end by over-prescribing things. So whether it's you starting out or you are a new mom, I encourage you to establish care with a trusted herbalist or acupuncturist or naturopath that can evaluate you when you're healthy because then they know what your constitution looks like. They have a much easier time prescribing herbs when you are in fact ill. This is especially true when you're pregnant because when you're pregnant, there's not a lot of things that you can take. You know, you, you can basically, from a Western point of view, you can take Tylenol and that's about it. But like I said, we don't want to suppress that. We want to manage the symptoms and let them come out um, and resolve as quickly as possible. And we can employ herbs, but we don't use all the herbs when you're pregnant and we use a different dosage. So if your practitioner understands what your body usually does with herbs and what your constitution is, they're going to have a much easier time helping you to feel better if you do in fact get sick. Now, let's talk about what happens if you think you have the flu. I cannot express enough the importance of rest. You will know with these intense body aches in your neck and your actually your entire body, your fever will probably get so high that your bones ache. And when your fever is that high, you're going to be dehydrated, especially if you're having diarrhea with it or throwing up. So staying hydrated, getting fluids in, um, maybe even fluids with electrolytes. I'm not a huge fan of Gatorade, but you know, there's a time and a place for that. And I believe that that's in the third quarter of football on a super hot field where you're sweating like buckets. Or if you're dehydrated, you can also use something like Pedialyte. But if you use Gatorade, I tell people all the time to dilute it way down because there's enough electrolytes in it. You don't need to just be over consuming all the sugar and the dye because the sugar actually feeds virus and bacteria. 
that's the, the other thing is when you get any of these, whether it's viral or bacterial, you want to avoid sugar and starchy foods, okay? This is because it's food for the virus and the bacteria. We want to eat as healthy or as minimally as possible. So chicken soup is always a great idea. Pho, if you eat Vietnamese food, you know, that is bone broth that has typically been cooked for two to three days. It's highly, highly nourishing. It's got a ton of herbs in it that actually help to fight viruses and bacteria. And it can be kind of comforting at a time when nothing else sounds good. You want to keep the room moist if you live in a dry climate. So you might actually have to employ something like a humidifier um, or a mist vaporizer. You might be doing some saline sprays or like those garlic neti pot or even just a saline neti pot with salt that I talked about. The other thing that you can do is you can do steams in the shower with essential oils like eucalyptus, um, which is antiviral and bacterial. Um, You can use peppermint to clear the sinuses, especially as you're starting to feel better and you need to go back to work. That can help to open things up. And peppermint has a very invigorating quality to it, meaning that it will kind of relieve fatigue. Now, you don't want to use peppermint in excess if you're pregnant already. Okay, that's my caveat on that one. Honey is appropriate, especially for coughs and sore throats. However, if you're giving it to a child, they must be more than one year old, okay? Uh, And that's because their immune system is not fully developed enough yet to handle the complexities of honey. So I know this is a lot of information. I'm going to provide you with a chart so that you can see the occurrence of whether it's virus or bacteria. I encourage you to use this chart, put it somewhere handy, or come back to it when you need it. Um, I'm also going to provide some links to Aviva Rahm's pediatric book, which is amazing for how to know when it's a red flag for your child of when you do need to go to the doctor or when it's something that you can address at home. And lastly, I just want to talk about that fever in males, right? Preventing the fever, if you can, monitoring it, understanding how high it goes and where you guys are in your fertility journey. So let's say that you are about 30 days away from IVF. You haven't done a sperm collection yet. There's already problems and your hubby spikes a fever of 104 and he's got the flu. You might want to push that cycle back another 60 days and test sperm and see what is the quality of the sperm that's available. Certainly you want to tell your practitioner and you might even want to compare the results if you have a sperm analysis prior to the one he gives after the fever. Now, again, it's not going to hurt if it's that day. It's going to hurt the sperm that are basically being developed, right? They're going to get too hot. There's no way for the body to protect that one degree difference that it needs between 98.6. I did promise you that we would talk a little bit about essential oils and things that you can have on hand. One of my favorite immune blends is by a company called Sage, S-A-J-E. They're based out of Canada. All of their blends are fabulous, but they have an immune blend that I travel with and absolutely love. They also have an echinacea spray, which is great for prevention, or if in fact you do get that sore throat. Some of the other things that you can consider having on hand are tea tree oil. Um, Tea tree oil is very warm and spicy. It's cleansing and antiviral as well as antifungal. 
Another thing that you can have on hand besides peppermint and eucalyptus is rosemary to mix with those two, as well as clove and cinnamon. There is um, a formula made by Young Living Oils called Thieves, and that's based off of an ancient recipe of cinnamon, clove, eucalyptus, and peppermint, I believe. Um, I'll put a link to where you can find that as well. And the reason that it's called thieves is that it was said to steal the bacteria and the virus out of the air during the times of plague. So this is an old, old recipe. I run it all the time in my house during um, cold and flu season, especially if one of us is sick to try and prevent the others from getting it. Again, common sense. Wash your hands. If you're in large crowds or you're exposed to a lot of people when you're working, come home and take a shower or change your clothes. If you work in a hospital, take your shoes off. If you work in a school, definitely change your clothes before you come home into your environment and expose your friends and family to any germs that you've picked up along the way. And when you have a fever, please convalesce for 24 hours. What that means is stay home. Don't go to work. Don't expose yourself unnecessarily to other people. When you have a fever, you are contagious. I truly feel like humans are to blame in these superbugs. Not only have we changed them through overuse of antibiotics, potentially misusing flu vaccines um, and making those viruses stronger, but I do think that the heaviest part of the burden lies with overdoing and not understanding when you're sick that it's okay to take a break. And that when you do have a fever and you are in fact going out and you are exposing everybody that you come into contact with and putting them at risk as well. And while you may handle a cold or flu just fine, a friend or loved one may not. Their immune system may not be up to the challenge. So please take an approach of the greater good, right? We hear that all the time around vaccines. You got to take your vaccines because it's the greater good and it's everyone else. But what about the simple things like staying home and washing your hands? Don't forget those. Check back to the episode for all of this information and a recap with easy to read tables, links to all of the retreats and offerings. And don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so that you are in the know of what is coming in 2018 because I have some really awesome things planned. I've been so humbled by those of you that have reached out to me and let me know what you're getting out of this podcast. That's why I keep doing it. So I want to bring you the information that you can use. So don't forget to go to ladypotions.com and for this specific episode, ladyhotions.com backslash episode 19. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Fertile Minds Radio, hosted at www.ladyportions.com, where you'll find past episodes, show notes, and free meditations. If you've benefited from what you've heard, leave a comment or review so it makes it easier for others to find this valuable wisdom. Let's help elevate each other. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.